There is nothing artificial about leadership. As leaders worth following, we must upgrade our relational operating systems. Because real influence comes from leaders who build trust with empathy and insight. LeaderCast presents Human Intelligence with Radhika Dirks, Henry Cloud, Andy Stanley, Stephanie Chung, Eddie Ndopu, Erica Keswin, Joe Boyd, and Jeremy Kubacek. Join us and help fill the world with leaders worth following. And literally in my mind, Joe, I was thinking, and I had been told that I had been wasting my time because gymnastics is not for little girls who look like me. So I was told that and I believed it. And as I practiced, as I took my turn, I just kind of, I was just having fun. I wasn't necessarily thinking that I could ever compete at this high level, but she knew that I could. Welcome to the LeaderCast podcast, a weekly deep dive into the stories that transformed our guests into leaders worth following. I'm your host, Joe Boyd. If you've been enjoying the podcast, thank you so much for being a listener. One simple thing you can do to help us out is give a review wherever you listen. Today's guest is Kim Anthony. I'm excited for you to hear her story of how she became a national champion in gymnastics. But underneath all that, you will see that what was happening the whole time is she was being formed in the sort of person that she is today. She's a contributor here on LeaderCast, on LeaderCast Now, and was a speaker at our Amplify event. And I think the one thing you're gonna take away from this is the one thing that she had to do to find peace in her life. You might need to do it too. Kim Anthony, welcome to the LeaderCast podcast. Hey, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. It's uh, <laughs> so great when uh, I get to talk to a real-life, real-world friend. Uh, we've known oh, each wow. other for almost 10 years now, I think. I went, had to go back That's and check. unbelievable. It's crazy. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And uh, as soon as, uh, I mean, just behind the scenes, we, uh, 10 years ago, my creative agency was trying to produce some movies and we actually optioned mm -hmm. your life rights to your movie yes, and yes. wrote some scripts on it. And, uh, it has yet to materialize, but you never know. Uh, but, um, it, never know. the process of getting to do that with our screenwriter, Brad, uh, really made your story. So even more close to my heart. And so I'm just excited to be able Thank for you, you to be able to share that today. So, Oh, I appreciate that. And thanks for being on our platform LeaderCast now and speaking at our Amplify event. Uh, you've so already much fun. Yeah, <laughs> um, get emails all the time of folks saying that they love love you and love your content on our platform. So thanks so much for doing that. Thanks for sharing that. That means a lot. Yeah. All right. So let's dive in because uh, I would love. Uh, could you just tell me a little bit of kind of how you grew up and what your early ambitions were as a kid? Uh, what you hope to become, uh, and uh, we'll kind of launch from the very beginning, if that works. Okay. No, that sounds good. Yeah. Well, gosh, I grew up in a pretty rough situation. My mother was mostly a single mom, and even when she was married, she was a single mom because my dad wasn't around. He was only around when it was convenient for him. So she, um, we struggled financially, and um, there were drugs um, not that my mother was involved in that, but my father was. So I was um, trying to earn my value in my father's eyes by rolling joints for him and um, handling drugs so that he could be proud of me. And um, the things that happened in my life demonstrated that that could be 
one of the things that would make him happy. And I remember sitting in front of this, um, I was at this little party that he was having and on the coffee table in front of me were all of these drugs of choice. And uh, I sat there, I was the only child in the room, smoke filled, rolling joints, making my daddy proud. And I equated handling drugs with finally having a sense of worth in his eyes. And I went to a crack dealer's house when I was 13, thinking that this dealer could teach me how to make crack so that I could go back and show my dad my skills so he could be proud of me yet again. So uh, I guess the future looked bleak. Yeah. Yeah. But I was a different kind of kid. So had some different. I mean, that in of itself, that, that was not happening to me when I was a kid. No, no. Uh, and not that your story is, I'm sure there are other folks that have similar stories, but that, um, you know, your, your childhood starting off differently than a lot of folks listening to this podcast Mm -hmm. was probably when I think we all have a moment. Did you, did you have a moment where as a kid you were like, maybe this is not normal. Maybe I shouldn't be in a room like this. Did you have those moments? I did not. It was so common for me that I didn't realize until I was in college that other people didn't Didn't (laughs) live like that. They (laughs) didn't grow up like that, believe it or not. Yeah, it was just so commonplace, Joe. Well, I mean, I know where your story is going to go. You're going to become a a national champion gymnast. Uh, So uh, how did that start? How did you get an interest in gymnastics? Uh, Particularly, I would say... May, is it fair to say like the folks you grew up around probably weren't that into gymnastics generally? Is it Generally, yeah. no. I, I think just about every kid flips around yeah. outside, right? Sure. In the grass, in the side. We didn't have grass. <laughs> we had a, side, <laughs> a brick sidewalk. Yeah. So um, that's where I started. I watched Nadia Comaneci in the, I think, 76 Olympics. Mm-hmm. And she kind of put some order into all of the flips and things that I was doing. You know, I was on fences, jumping off <laughs> stairs and swinging on bar, you know, on the monkey bars and doing all kinds of wacky stuff. Yeah. And what was interesting is, you know how you play, play follow the leader? Sure. When I was the leader, kids were getting hurt. <laughs> they were trying to do the things I was doing. And I always won that yeah. game, uh, believe it or not. But I started flipping outside on the sidewalk of my grandmother's house. And I had to be smart so I wouldn't hurt myself because it was you know, not a soft surface. Yeah. And um, I started teaching myself side aerials and all kinds of things. And my mom was afraid that I was going to get injured. Sure. By, you know, <laughs> busting my head wide open, you know, as they would say. Yeah. And uh, she took me to a gym, a little recreation class. We took two buses across town to get there. And that was my first experience being in a gym with all of these mats. And it was like heaven, Joe. It was like the angels started singing, the sky opened up. (laughs) How how old were you then? I was eight. Uh, Okay. I was eight. Let's see. No, I was nine. I was nine, almost 10. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you, so a whole new world opens up, right? Whole new world. Yeah. And I got in trouble during that class because I was on the high bar when I should have been on the low bar. (laughs) I was on the low, the high beam when I should have been on the low beam. And uh, the coach called me over afterwards and I thought I was going to get in trouble and that he would tell me to never, ever come back again. 
So I, you know, sheepishly went over to him and, and he, instead, he asked me how I learned how to do the things that I knew how to do. He said, where did you take gymnastics before? And I said, I just slip on my grandma's sidewalk. (laughs) That's what I do. And um, he had me show me the skills that I had taught myself and he invited me to join the team right then and there. And that's where it started. Well, you, you can see what we were thinking. I mean, your, your story is like a great underdog sports story at, at one level. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know it gets much deeper, but, um, and gymnastics from my perspective, I had a, a, a niece who was very into competitive gymnastics until she was like mm-hmm. 13 or 14. And I, I knew just watching her life, it, it can be like all encompassing. It's, it's, it, to me, it feels even more so than other sports in some ways. Was yes. it sort of instantly like that? Was it, did it sort of become your whole life? It did. It started off three days a week, then five days, then six, and then you're competing on the weekends. So I wasn't able to participate in any other sports because there just wasn't time. I would literally, I'd go to school, come home, do my homework, go to practice at four o'clock and end at 10. And then because we couldn't afford to pay for my lessons, we would then clean the 20,000 plus square foot gym after practice. So, so that's how you pay. That's how you and your mom paid for their lessons. That is one of the ways. Yeah. And we, we'd raise money. <laughs> Gosh, my, um, my godfather um, was a drug dealer and he owned a corner store in the neighborhood and they set up a, a what do you, you know, there's a, this little jar that Jerry's kids, mm-hmm. you, you put money in the jar, yeah. your change at the cash register. So they set up one of those little uh, jars for me. And the thing was that people would put money in it to support me, but people kept stealing the jar. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and then <laughs> they wanted me to work behind the counter uh-huh. on the weekends or whenever I had time so that people could see where their money was going. And yeah. they thought it would be a great uh, community thing. But my mother refused to allow me to work there because she knew that drugs were sold there as well. And she didn't want me to be involved in any of that. So, you know, one of the things we'd like to talk about is those early mentors and leaders that helped shape you. Um, mm-hmm. As a as a kid, who who comes to mind as sort of you, you couldn't have got where you got without them? Oh, that would definitely be my mother. Yeah, I don't know if we can count parents. They count absolutely. They count. They count. Okay, yeah. so definitely <laughs> she. Um, was an incredible mentor for me. And she had experienced a lot of disappointment in terms of her dreams not being fulfilled. uh, Because, you know, for instance, she got a full scholarship to go to college, an academic scholarship, but she didn't go and couldn't go because her parents couldn't afford to pay the $25 application fee. Wow. So that was a huge disappointment for her. And she raised me with this thought in mind, you can do whatever you want. And she, I always came up with some wild, wacky things that I (laughs) wanted to do. And she never denied me the access to that, like gymnastics. She's like, okay, this, this girl is wild. She needs to get into a safe place. So she sacrificed so that I could do gymnastics. And she really um, instilled in me the fact that if there's something that I want to go after, do it. Don't worry about failing. 
you may just find, you may find that you like it. You may find that you don't like it, but you should at least try. Yeah. How about those early coaches? I, I also have like, like a layman's view that some gymnastics coaches are like very strict. Um, yes. so did, how did, uh, did you have some that, if we should think about leadership in general, did you have some coaches that felt like good role models of leaders and maybe some that didn't? Did, did you have go through that whole spectrum? Yes, yeah. I did. Uh, early on, um, there were the majority of the coaches. No, I won't, I won't say the majority. The, the main coaches I, were, I worked with, some of them were very difficult and hard on me and I guess hard on everyone, but it yeah. seemed especially hard on me. Uh, so I had not been told that I was any good until I got to college. Oh, wow. Uh, but there were a couple of coaches. Monica Manns was one of them early on. She uh, saw something in me and she really pushed me to excel. And she believed in me and she um, wanted me to understand that I had a gift, but it was hard for me to realize that because, yeah. I mean, there's, and in gymnastics, especially back in the seventies, when I started, there was a racial barrier. I was the only little black girl there mm -hmm. and she happened to be a black coach. Okay. And she saw that, um, I had something special and I didn't realize it. And literally in my mind, Joe, I was thinking, and I had been told that I had been wasting my time because gymnastics is not for little girls who look like me. Hmm. So I was told that and I believed it. And as I practiced, as I took my turn, I just kind of, I was just having fun. I wasn't necessarily thinking that I could ever compete at this high level, but she knew that I could. Hmm. And so she introduced me to friends who who paid for dance training, you know, Jamie Patterson, he, he paid for me to take ballet mm -hmm. and um, jazz so that it could improve my gymnastics. And it got to a point where I got so good at dance where I had to choose which one. Did I want to go perform on Broadway one day or did I want to do gymnastics? Yeah. So I, I chose gymnastics. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I think Monica was a really impactful person early on. You don't want the lack of professional development opportunities to cost you top talent. The reality is that all-star employees look for and stay with employers who invest in them and their growth. And one of the easiest ways for you to provide that is by streaming LeaderCast's newest event, Human Intelligence. There is nothing artificial about leadership. Real influence comes from leaders who build trust with empathy and insight. Invest in and empower your talent with LeaderCast Human Intelligence. Sign up now to stream the event at LeaderCast.com. Was there a specific moment when you remember realizing that you could be great? Like, did a, was it like a switch that flips or was it kind of a gradual... Okay, so, and, and I might be jumping too far ahead. No, that's fine. That didn't happen until my freshman year in college. And you were and already on a scholarship to UCLA, right? Yes, so, I had competed in Olympic trials. <laughs> I had you should have competed. 
I should have known. <laughs> I had won gold medals for our country. Right. <laughs> and um, even in South Africa during apartheid, I won a gold. I, I won the meet, yeah. which was quite interesting, uh, a quite interesting experience. But I had done all of these things, competed on the U.S. national team, and uh, I didn't know that I was any good <laughs> because I had always been told by um, a certain coach that I wasn't mm. good and that I would never amount to much. I would never be able to compete at a certain level. So I, I believed her because that's the person, um, you know, I was around all the, you know, every day I was training with her. And, uh, so I get to UCLA, I'm, you know, getting rubbed out before practice. Cause I, I back, of course, there's lots of pain mm -hmm. with gymnastics. There's neck, you know, you fall on your neck. I don't know how many times, um, <laughs> in my career I've landed on my neck, back, head, it's just, you know, so there was, I'm in pain. So he's, he's working out my back. And then he tells me, um, this is Jerry Tomlinson. He says, Kimmy, you can be a champion. You could, you could win a national championship title. And I just looked at him. I'm like, no, I can't. And he's like, no, really you can. And I had not even thought about winning anything in college. Mm -hmm. Um, I almost didn't go to college because I was so tired, so burned out. Um, as you can imagine, training that many hours for um, several years, it can wear yeah, on you, yeah. right? And there's so much pressure, so much pressure. I would literally cry uncontrollably in class wow. um, at school because of the pressure that was on me. I didn't realize it at the time, but um, now I can look back and yeah. say, okay, yeah, I was under a lot of pressure, not to mention all the strain that was going on at home. So Jerry told me that I could be a champion and he kept telling me, he had to keep telling me, it wasn't this one-time thing. And as he told me, and then Valerie Condos told me, I began to start training like I was a champion. Mm. I didn't just train just to to um, get by and, and you know, you want to stay on the beam and you want to do well. I didn't train just to do well. I trained to win. I mean, there's a, there's a clear theme there that you have a leader in your life telling you, you can't be a champion. And so you believed mm -hmm. you couldn't be. And then you had some telling you, you could be. The irony is you technically were a champion, right? When they told you <laughs> that you couldn't be. So how are you, like when you won yes. the South Africa meet, that's a championship, right? Yeah. But it, did you think it was a fluke? Like the, did you think you mm -hmm. didn't deserve it? I I just thought, well, there's some there's some reason why it happened. Maybe it's because I, you know, yeah, I would come up with excuses because, well, I'm not that good, so maybe it's because, you know, so and so wasn't competing at that meet. Or um, I don't even know all the lies I told myself. But, but it's just, but uh, you're hearing lies from someone else that get repeated in your own head. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, to flash all the way forward, do you, do you think about that actively now as, as you mentor and lead others? Are, yeah. are you kind of aware of the power of your words? To... Yes. Yeah. Yes, I am. And I'm also aware of the power of the words that, other people have heard in their past. Hmm. And that's one of the things that, I mean, just because of all the work I've had to do to 
um, come through that to, to overcome a lot of the obstacles I've faced, I see how important it is to, to, I don't know if it's, you don't look back and stay on it, but to glance back at your past and, and try to assess, um, some of the lies you may be believing because of something someone said to you or an experience you had and the importance of digging into that and overcoming and, and really replacing those lies with what is true so that you can move forward. So that, so that something way back in your past is not holding you back from your purpose and from your future. Yeah. Well, interesting. Like the athletes are always so fascinating to me in terms of, as I think it forces you, unless you're, there's like certain weird sports like golf that you can play till you're dead, but you know, <laughs> I know for, right? for the, for the, especially gymnastics, it's like, Ooh you're done by the time you're 25 or something, right? It usually, mm-hmm. usually, I think. Yeah. Usually. So you kind of have to have f- gone past that. But yeah. yeah. You kind of have to like, in a weird way, force a whole career into a, a childhood almost, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure that, I'm sure that does some negative things to folks emotionally, but it also sort of maybe yeah. prepares you for what's next in ways. I guess what I'm getting to is I'm, I'm thinking like, you did all this work to convince yourself that you could be a champion and we should finish the story. You did become uh, a champion. Um, and, but then I assume after that you have to then realize, but I have a law, a long life to live, not as a gymnast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I'm not going to be flipping around. Yeah. For the rest of my life. Um, and even (laughs) if you had chosen the Broadway route, you might've got, you would have extended, that would have been an extended career potentially. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so, if we could just pick up the story, tell us about winning the championships and then sort of processing maybe what's next after all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those things with, with pro athletes, athletes in general. Um, it's very difficult. You, you can't continue your, your career unless you're a golfer for the rest of your life. <laughs> Dang usually. golfers and bowlers. Yeah. Oh, bowlers. I forgot about that. I need to take up one of those or yeah, archery. Right. I don't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so it's, when you have experienced such an intense amount of success and this adrenaline and all that comes with being an athlete competing at a high level, it's very difficult to transition out of that career into something else and still get that same rush, (laughs) that same uh, amount of success even, um, depending on um, what you choose to do. And, uh, And even having the the recognition because mm. as an athlete people are watching you you have fans out there but if you choose a certain career you're not going to have people cheering you on and right. and you know you know rah rah you might be behind a desk doing something wonderful but you don't have that type of attention and all of that takes getting used to and so what i did which I don't highly recommend <laughs> anyone does is I, I, I was so, my identity was so wrapped up in my gymnastics. I didn't know who Kim was mm-hmm. underneath that. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I just looked at other people's lives and I saw what they were doing. And if I, if I thought it was fun, then I tried it. Yeah. <laughs> so I did so many different things. It's not even funny. And, um, and I realized, so I would try something and then I had a mom who was saying, yeah, girl, you can do that. That sounds like what your mom would say. Just go for it. Yes. Yes. You can, you can do that. So, so I tried a lot of different things for the wrong reasons, 
whether it's because I thought it would be fun or because somebody else was doing it, or even because I thought it would bring attention. And worse than that, Joe, I, I didn't even plan to get into this, but um, there was a time in my life where I was um, working as hard as I could and living my life to pay back all the people who would ever hurt me, especially my dad. What do you mean by when you say that? I wanted to be as successful as possible to have a job that brought attention to myself so that when those people who hurt me saw me on television yeah. or saw me mm -hmm. doing these great things, that they would regret that they ever hurt you. me. That's a very honest mm -hmm. thing to, to say, but I, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and I didn't realize I was doing it at the time. Um, but you know, as I began to grow and learn more about myself and, and what I was wired to do and find some things that I was truly interested in, then I started to realize that, you know what, I was doing a lot of things for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And, um, I, you can never, I mean, you can never experience this level of satisfaction, uh, if you're performing to get back at somebody, Yeah. you know? Um, yeah. So well, I'll that, pause there because I went way off. No, topic, I mean, I, I typically enjoy it when we go down those side trails, but, um, <laughs> cause it really is your, I mean, it just makes, so when I met you eight or 10 years ago, I don't, you know, I, I met a, a very lovely, mature person that, you know, I wouldn't, I would not have like, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is you, you did a lot of growing up and evolving, obviously, uh, mm -hmm. from that point to where you are now. Um, and yes. that what, what caused that? Some people never do that. Some people kind of stay mm -hmm. kind of bitter and angry and, you know, it's right. can, ends up being very sad when they get older and they're still trying to prove to other people yeah. what mm -hmm. happened in your life that, um, uh, unless you got us all totally fooled, uh, it seems, <laughs> it seems like something, something happened. What, what happened that helped yeah. you sort of turn that corner away from that? Well, I um, realized that I needed to forgive. Hmm. And I was writing my story and in book form, and it came time for me to publish it, and I thought I was done. And I was, um, I like to spend time with God and, and pray and, yeah. and get wisdom there. And I sensed that I needed to talk with my father and reconcile with him. And perhaps that reconciliation would would do something for someone who read the book, who would encourage them and have um, a greater impact on them. Mm -hmm. So I uh, didn't know how to do that because for years I had been trying to reach out to him and he wasn't returning my calls and didn't know what to do. And, and so I just prayed, I'm like, okay, God is, if this is you, please, you have to do this because I don't know what else to do to reach him mm -hmm. uh, because he's literally acting like I don't exist. And a series of things happened out of my control. I didn't do a thing. I just sat and just prayed and waited. And by that November, it was before Thanksgiving, I was sitting across from him for the first time in years. Mm -hmm. And I was able to, um, to tell him because between the time that I felt I needed to reconcile with him and that time that I got to meet him, I think it was maybe 10 months or so, nine or 10 months, 
I came to a place where I realized I needed to forgive him and that forgiving him didn't mean that I continued to allow him or anyone else to hurt me. Mm -hmm. Forgiving him didn't mean I was letting him off the hook, but forgiving him was really releasing me from this bondage, this control that I had given him um, because of what, of the pain that he had caused me. So it was really relinquishing my right to pay him back and just, wow. you know, say, you know what, I'm gonna take back my life, take control of my life and um, move forward and not allow this madness from the past to continue to hold me back. So I was able to sit across from him and say, hey, you know what, um, I, I don't like what happened. I don't know why it happened, but I forgive you. Hmm. I forgive you. And I would love for you to be a part of my life and the lives of my children, your grandchildren. Hmm. And Joe, the healing, oh my goodness. And I, and I can't, people ask me, so how were you able to forgive? I had thought I'd forgiven years before that. Yeah. But I was working to pay people back, right? Yeah. So I really didn't forgive. I was just trying to you know, channel it in a different direction. But every time I felt that pain again, I just chose to forgive. I chose to let go. Mm. I chose to ask for help, um, support from people around me who knew the things that had happened, um, support from God, the God that I believe in. And lo and behold, as time passed, I began to truly feel the ability to forgive him. And I, link, I think a lot of that happened because I was able to heal. Hmm. I was able to acknowledge the pain and do the things that I needed to do to bring healing to my soul, to my emotions. And then I was able to truly forgive. Thank you so much for talking about that. And I, I, I think this is a leadership podcast, but leadership is so tied in obviously to our, who we are as people. And I'll, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think forgiveness is a huge deal uh, for everyone. Um, and I, I like that you said what it's not and maybe just want to reinforce that a little bit because I, I feel like mm -hmm. some folks he might hear that and feel like I need to put myself back in a, in a bad situation. Could, can you maybe just process how, yeah. if you need, if you feel like you want to forgive someone, how, how, what, what do you think is the most healthy way to process through doing that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I absolutely. I think the reason why a lot of people choose not to forgive is because they think that holding on to that anger and that pain is hurting the other person hmm. that, you know, the saying, uh, drinking, let's see, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Uh, yeah. That's what's happening. We are the ones who are hurting. We are the ones who are affected anytime that person steps into a room or shows up in leadership. There's, there's so many things that happen or can happen in leadership that where people hurt us, people um, do things, they sabotage our success. They, there's so many, they fire us, whatever it is yeah, that right. we're experiencing as leaders. Um, we need to forgive those people too. And again, forgiving people is not um, allowing them to continue to hurt you 
because we need to have healthy boundaries. There'll be, there'll be some people who need to earn your respect again, earn your trust again. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people you will never want to allow right. in inside of your boundary because it's not a healthy situation. And that's okay. We can still choose to forgive mm-hmm. and release our desire, release our right to pay people back. And what happens is those people, those individuals, whether we witness it ourselves or not, they they will reap the consequences. I believe mm-hmm. of of their choices, of their choices, and mm-hmm. and we, I think it's important for us to make sure that we're not allowing them to continue to control our lives by holding on to that anger yeah. and unforgiveness. That's, I mean, that's powerful stuff that anybody anywhere I think can relate to. And thank you so much for sharing that. I knew our time would go quickly because your story is interesting oh. and you're uh, a very well-spoken, wise person. Thank you so much for being mm. a part of our uh, community. I, I just wanted to kind of, ask a final question, really general, just in a round of, I know you do a lot of work now with folks and keynote speaking and coaching. And, um, is there anything in the last, say three to five years, that's kind of been burning in your heart that you haven't talked about yet. When you think about leadership, is there a message that has been bubbling up, uh, that you would love to, to get out to our community? Great question. When, when I think about leadership, again, and, and I, I could be repeating myself, I just think about the importance of being healthy emotionally. In order to be a good leader, we need to be able to lead ourselves first, right? I think as leaders, we're so strong, and that's why we rise to the top. So we have a tendency to instead of allowing ourselves to feel pain, a feel grief, or anything that we think does not add to our ability to lead well, we try to squash it. Mm. And the thing is, is when we squash it, when we ignore it, when we refu- refuse to acknowledge some of the things that are really calling us, causing us mental anguish um, in our private time, uh, then it is going to come out in the job. It's going to come out in insecurity. It's going to come out in possibly anger, in um, how we treat people, the the difference between treating people with value and respect versus treating people as objects or just a means to an end. I think it's very important. So what I'm passionate about is helping leaders to understand themselves in a way that frees them up to be the greatest leader possible. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I, uh, I mean, I will co-sign that all day long that, uh, mm-hmm. you, you, your team will only be as healthy as you are if you're leading someone. Yes. And, yes. uh, a lot, you know, there's a lot of work we can all do on ourselves and uh, that's really where leadership starts. And even cause we've hit on some pretty deep things today. Like for, for me, even things like therapy were super important. So Mm -hmm. some folks listening to this might just, you know, you might think you logged on to learn how to be a better leader. And what you're really hearing is I might need to do a little work on myself. And Mm -hmm. if, if folks are hearing that, I think both of us would just want to encourage people to push into that. Right. Yes. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, you will come out on the other side of that 
so much stronger. Your team will recognize a difference. Yeah. You, they won't know what happened, but <laughs> right. they'll recognize a dif difference. Your, your amount of fulfillment and pleasure in your work is going to increase. I, I think there's so many benefits that can come from just kind of being introspective. Yeah, for and assessing sure. yourself. Yeah. Kim, this was awesome. I'm sure people listening to this would love to connect with you somehow or maybe get your book. So how, what's the best way for folks to, to find you uh, on the internet? Well, my website is inbrilliancemode.com. Okay. Inbrilliancemode.com. Nice. We'll go there and people can connect with you. Thank you so much. This won't be the last time we talk to you. You're an important part of, of LeaderCast. Thanks, thanks for being a part of it. Thanks, Joe. This was fun. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Talk to you later. Empower yourself and your team to tackle some of the most difficult leadership challenges and grow professionally with LeaderCast Now. The LeaderCast Now app and online platform provide you access to more than 1,000 video lessons to help you navigate issues like change management, remote working guidelines, emotional intelligence, workplace conflict, negotiating, and more. Visit leadercastnow.com for more info.